Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Yeah, welcome back. We are doing it again. We're doing it again. I was like, where is the doing it again? You're killing me, Smalls. I was losing my mind there for a second. It's coming. It's coming. This was our it's second coming. run. This is our second run at this. We apologize. We got about three minutes in and realized we uh, still had Discord boops coming into the recording. So uh, for your own sanity and not having to hear a boop, 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 every, every couple seconds, other than my delightful boop, boops at the beginning of the show, uh, we are we are going to go ahead and re-record that. That being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. All right. And that being said, we always want to launch into this work. We are probably at our pen ultimate episode. We are very close to finishing. Um, and that being said, we're going to waste as little of your time as possible. So let's start with current events. So because those are very critical right now. Yes. And then we will uh, we will get to the work as soon as we have finished that. Uh, David, there is at least one very large current event looming that I, I know we want to talk about. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, it. Yeah, it it has to be addressed in in a myriad of of different ways because it's a very big deal. Okay, um, so the U.S. has intervened all over the world constantly. You don't say. And the U.S. also is, yeah, and the U.S. also is constantly, constantly, constantly creating gro- growing effects of climate change and pollution uh, through the capitalist economy and the military and oil companies and things like that. And all of these things have effects where you get natural disasters that are just called natural disasters that already exist. And climate change causes them to happen more often or get exaggerated. And then you have structural disasters left behind from the imposition of empire on places on top of that. And that just all gets enveloped in a natural disasters. Like whoops, this is naturally occurring. So Haiti is a place that the United States is really – Haiti liberated itself 1804, 200, 220 years ago or 215 years ago. And um, ever since then, it's basically it's, – it's been made poor with a, a quote-unquote debt to France, which never could have happened without the United States in the first place. And the United States has continued to intervene there, especially from the early 20th century on. Um, and most recently in 2004 – and Moise was even in office, holding office after an election that he had lost, refusing to advocate the office as a U.S. puppet. And I guess they decided he wasn't a good enough one or they needed some kind of resolution or something. And U.S. special forces and Colombian special forces seemed to be on the scene when he just got assassinated. And the people seemed to have not gained any power in the meantime. And so Haiti was already under that umbrella, was already seeing, you know, death squads killing protesters for a couple of years now. Um, and like everybody else, you know, because of uh, the lack of a TRIPS waiver and intellectual property holding back, you know, things like COVID vaccines uh, was being pushed to the brink with, you know, COVID and, and other effects by U.S. imperialism. And then... For the second time since, I believe, 2010, and the last time there was a giant earthquake there, uh, it was a huge humanitarian disaster because the UN came in supposedly for humanitarian effort and caused a cholera outbreak. It was absurd. It was awful. It was the worst thing it could have been. It was a glaring example uh, of how the quote-unquote humanitarian aid spread by these imperial institutions 
is not so humanitarian, right? Yeah. Um, and so there was another earthquake, right? Um, that hit, and and so things have gotten really bad, and so people are fleeing Haiti. There are refugees fleeing Haiti for their lives, right? These are people that are caught between a rock and a hard place. They have to leave their homelands to places where they don't speak the language just out of total desperation to the very oppressors that they're trying to get away from because that's, at least it's on the other side of the gun or at least they have the resources or they just flat out have nowhere else to go. And so to get there, they have to travel by ocean. They get rejected away from ice and and other oppressive forces. And a lot of times they'll try to cross through the Mexican border, uh, in this case, in a place called Del Rio, Texas. And Biden has actually, to my knowledge, um, used, I think it was Title 42 or something that's come up since COVID, which is supposedly in the efforts of COVID being able to just deport people in mass. Uh, I think he's already used that more than Trump if I remember right, which is I just believe so. like by hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And so he's trying to use that to deport Haitians, to prevent Haitians from coming in. In this desperation, the U.S. has caused, very recently has caused. Um, and while this is happening, these people are, are at the border. And so this is something that the crisis dates back hundreds of years. It's structural. The acute cause of this bubbling up to where it dares be in people's view is months ago. The crisis is the lack of infrastructure and the lack of, of help and, and the, you know, the harm (laughs) rather than help of humanitarian aid and the imperialism and, and everything, the death back home. That's the real crisis. Yes. And yet people will see people showing up on the border and 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 this is where language tells on itself a little bit. Having to see that, having to be exposed to that is a border crisis. And now it's getting called a border crisis. Well, no, these are human beings who need help. It's not a refugee crisis or or a border crisis who gives a flying fuck about the border. It is an imperialism causing crisis bubbling to the surface to cause a conflict at a arbitrary, violent border, trying to shut out the very people from the country that caused the harm. Uh, you know, this is much like when people talk about a homeless crisis, when they start seeing homeless people, right? It's like, mm-hmm. no, the reason they're, they're, they're homeless or houseless is the crisis, not the fact that you have to see them, not the fact that they're begging you for the money, but the fact that they have to beg you for money. Right. That's the crisis, not that they exist. Um, And it's incredibly dehumanizing, destructive and and violent just in the language. Well, during this uh, ice and custom and people always forget about custom border patrol when they abolish ice was trendy. It was like, okay, but also customs border patrol. And also those are the the two institutions that that split out after the what was the war and terror bill that that Bush did that started them. it also does the no-fly list, the Patriot Act. Um, those are the two that split out after the Patriot Act. But before that, it, it was under another name. I don't even remember it under Clinton. But, you know, it's a force that's always been there, right? And so just the ICE part is, is very recent. But this is something that dates back the whole existence of the United States as, you know, an oppressive force to round up slaves and, and catch slaves and, and 
ethnically cleanse indigenous people and fight, you know, wars for territories in Mexico. I mean, these, these types of border security, quote unquote, has always existed and has just gotten more and more and more militaristic and violent over time. And the Customs Border Patrol, uh, seeming to get a very grotesque joy out of it, uh, has there have been very graphic images going around of a reality that people have been suffering through where these Haitian refugees trying to get, um, I can't think of the word for, we'll just say supplies, right? Um, You know, provisions, that's what I was looking for. Trying to get provisions for, for the camp that they've set up so they can survive until they get across the border, right? And again, I mean, we're talking about, these are amnesty-seeking refugees. And so by the supposed international rules of the international order, there's no procedure to get in you accept them when and where they come in when they're asking for amnesty like that's the rules of it right the supposedly in these rules-based liberal world order that they never fucking follow because of course they don't they just say that so they can kill people and stay in power um and so these people are seeking refuge and they're being held out and as they're seeking provisions they're they're being rounded up or pushed out and being chased down by custom border patrol agents on horseback with whips and it's like okay we know they're direct descendants of slave catching patrols and and slave drivers and we know that the quote-unquote immigrants has always been black and brown people right always you know African people or Afro-Indigenous people or Indigenous people or Mestizo people, you know, coming up from from the South. It's not like European immigrants coming in from the East, right? ICE doesn't deport people from being for being Swedish. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, it's true. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's that's what this has always been. But when they're still riding horseback and whipping black immigrants. It's it's too obvious, right? Like yeah. everybody who knows their ass from the hole in the ground has been trying to connect these dots. Importantly, um, to help these people in their plight against the suppression, you know, let people see this is what this is. This has never changed. Stop living your liberal American exceptionalist delusions of we got better and we're the shining beacon on the hill or whatever the fuck. We're still the slave drivers and we've got to stop this. And these are the policies that express that. And it doesn't matter which party is in office or whatever the hell that doesn't change it this is who america is and of course the first thing you hear is this isn't who america is this is exactly this is 100 percent, 100 percent to its core what america is 100 as we're reading in this book what america is yes exactly and as you're seeing this image it's a little too on the nose all of a sudden the news like can't ignore that it, that's just what makes it a quote-unquote border crisis And so these images are floating around and it's bringing to light what has been happening to these Haitian people that are seeking refuge. And as that that floats around and comes to life, people are seeing this and going, oh, oh, that's bad. And today there was a a talk, an interview, and it was it was Jen Psaki, the the White House press secretary, and she gets up there. And someone had mentioned about, you know, the um, the immigrants being whipped by the Border Patrol agents. 
And she was, she immediately goes, yes, those are, those are very, you know, tragic. What was it like? Jarring graphic images. images. It was something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those images disgust us. And, 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 and those are, those are unacceptable. And we were appalled by those images too. And she kept saying the images and it's like, this isn't a fucking painting. Those are real people on the real border that your real agents that you're really in charge of are enforcing your real policy that you really are telling them to do. And you are really standing there defending in reality. To be clear, they're not fucking just images. We call this a Trump era policy. This is 100 percent a Stephen Miller backed policy. This was a Stephen Miller special. And you are using it in a way that Trump didn't even use it against specifically black immigrants yes yeah and 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 so i mean the focus on images shows that it's really all about pr right it's like oh the images are the problem like no the fucking suffering people are the problem it's bad enough that you think them being at the border and wanting in is the problem and not the suffering back home that sent them running over here that you fucking caused and are still causing it's it's not the fact that you're not helping them when they're begging you for their own survival. You know, you think them being on the board is a problem. It's not even that. That would be awful, but that's our grotesque, disgusting, violent norm. It's the fucking images. You're saying out loud it's the PR. And I don't know if that's to do propaganda to try to cut it down to the images and like, oh, yes, these images are just disturbing. That's what you call these images are disturbing. Well, of course, the images are disturbing. They show reality. The reality is a problem. I fucking acknowledge that. And I don't even want to acknowledge that. That's all Democrats do is acknowledge, acknowledge and don't do it. But you're not even doing that. You're not doing your party's calling card. You're doing a Stephen Miller policy and you're doing the Republican thing of oh, these images are bad. Fuck off. And she said that in preparation to say that Custom and Border Patrol has been told not to not to use the horses anymore. Oh, like, God. yeah, the horses were the problem. The horses are the problem. Next week they'll be reading they'll be writing Boston Dynamics ro- robots to uh whip Haitian uh refugees. It's not even it's not even close. No, I mean it's it, you're wearing it on your face, just straight up on your face. This is a PR issue. Like you couldn't say it any more clearly, right? You you could have she she basically went up there and said, "Yeah, our public relations is working on that. We don't want to we, we we know we want the problem to continue, but our public relations is working on that." And the worst part is is a bunch of people saw the clip. But I mean, this was a whole interview she did in the White House. This is a press release. And what it cut off with the last I saw of it, she was starting to already say uh, now, of course, we still have a process people go through. She was like already pivoting to blame the victim. And oh, then yeah. the, the Democrats, Democrat special, right? The Republican special is these people exist and they're evil for daring to exist and they all should die. So fuck them. But don't call me racist. No, no, no. Right? The Democrats just that, mean that's test their race. The Democrats just means test yeah, their the, racism. The, there's always these no one made up these rules no one's in charge of enforcing these rules you can't help that their hands are always tied they're not racist yes these images disturb them too but there's a process they've got to do the process properly i'm sorry they didn't do the process properly so they may be getting whipped on horseback but it's really their fault and and the real solution is them doing the process 
better. Yeah. Our hands are tied. Sorry, it's a process. Like this that's is a the party. Democrat this is special. a party that has made the Senate parliamentarian into a godlike figure over the last nine months, give or take. Yeah. Who the fuck? Who the fuck knew what a parliamentarian was in 2020? No one knew who the parliamentarian was until the Democrats were in power and needed somebody, anybody to keep them from actually doing anything. Right, right. Okay, now you have the House. Now you have the Senate. Now you have the presidency. Now you can do whatever you want. I'm sorry. There's a parliamentary. I mean, it's like it's like a fucking game show. It's like you spin the wheel and it's like it's a parliamentarian who is stopped us from you know, making a providing health care through an act. Right. Providing health care, you know, extending, growing the minimum wage, whatever the fuck. Right. I mean, anything. God, they just make shit up on the fly. Exactly. Right. There's there's a new position, a new excuse every goddamn time. And it's always procedural Uh, and it's always it's always technocratic and means tested and and ready to to find a way. They're going to find a way to finally, finally pass this infrastructure bill and it'll include anything that helps people and then all of a sudden there'll be like a a double secret anti-veto signature that biden's incapable of because it's like the fourth moon or something like <laughs> god f- there's always some fucking excuse there's, there's always, always some excuse it's always and it's bullshit yeah. right every time and and so i mean this this is a crisis from people that really really need help it's a violent structure on both ends. The crisis is not that they're at the border or that we're seeing them or that they need in, but it's the harm back home that caused all of this, that the U S caused in all of this. And then the fact that there's a border at all, right? Exactly. Those are the two issues. Those are the bookends of the issue. There's no border crisis. And yet Democrats can't even wear that. They're, 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 they're wearing the shit on their sleeve. And, and I just like, I, it's like it's it's amazing the apathy that has been poured into this country and we have to work. This is where political education and radicalization is so important. The apathy and the supposed helplessness or the the reach to to make excuses for it is so pronounced in this country that people have been, you know, freezing to death, that people have been dying by the hundreds of thousands in a pandemic that other countries handled fine while we hoard vaccines away from other countries to perpetuate the pandemic there. We people have died in wildfires. People, and and now this is happening, and and we're just like, meh, meh. Like, like somehow these fuckers, I, I, yeah. I mean, like, w- what is happening? Where's the consequences for them? And it, it always fucking happens. And in the meantime, something we talked about a few months ago was was Palestine. You remember uh, when when people were actually paying attention to Palestinian flight because of the plot to take over Sheikh Jarrah and expand the East Jerusalem settlements, right? Yes. Um, do you remember when people were were, um, were actually recognizing Palestinian plight because they saw Sheikh Jarrah and it I was do. like, oh no, this is bad. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, Netanyahu, there was a ceasefire, but Israel didn't really cease fire. And then like a week later or two weeks later, Netanyahu had to resign and got replaced by someone who's far more right than him, who immediately was enacting the same ethnic cleansing uh, policies. But everybody ignored it because it, it is the American way, right? Like the whole design of American democracy is not to actually elect someone you want who represents your interest. Obviously, we know that doesn't work. Uh, it's so that 
everybody latches onto a figurehead when disaster happens, right? I mean, we look at all the revolutions in the in the past, and they they attack the leader. You know, um, the, the thing that gets glamorized the most in socialist circles is the Russian Revolution, right? Well, they attacked, you know, Tsar Nicholas II, right? And he just kept doing dumber, dumber shit and was still in office to overthrow. And the point of American democracy is, well, someone doesn't, you know, maybe it wasn't designed like this on purpose, but this is why it works. This is this is why it functions. Someone doesn't sit in office too long. You switch the face. They do the same thing. They maybe reward the policies a little and it's someone else. So it's all better. And then you get mad again. And then it's someone else and it's all better. And you never stay mad. You never build the momentum because the target's moving. And so Israel does that, right? They replace Netanyahu. Now there's a new target. Now the whole world just shuts it off. Um, So they're continuing to actively ethnically cleanse Palestinians. And this infrastructure bill we were just mentioning is going out. And, And for one second, it was like, oh, my God, the squad did something useful. Anything. They haven't done jack. Like, what are they for? And they did something they and it was a really good thing. They got it was just this random billion dollars that was just added to the infrastructure bill to fund the Iron Dome. And for a second there, they got it pulled out. So the infrastructure bill was going to go by without it. It was amazing. It was incredible victory. And and there was these passionate speeches from some of them. And then immediately there was just a separate bill. So this Iron Dome stuff was just slipped into a bill. Uh, so much for that. We're just going to wear it on our sleeves. Hey, yeah, we're we're totally cool with weaponizing Israel. And of course, the, the bill keeps claiming and every talking point is it's for the Iron Dome It's for the Iron Dome. It's, not it's only de- is that it's defensive, David, David, it's, it's just defensive. defensive. Yeah. Not only is that bad enough, because like, where's Palestine's Iron Dome? But it says in the bill that some of the funds can go for weapons, for for the ethnic cleansing, for the, the bombing and, and firing at Palestinians. It's not just for even the Iron Dome. Again, it's bad enough as is, and it's worse than that just because. And they just passed it, openly fucking passed it. There were only eight people voting against it. And after AOC gave this big passionate speech, she wasn't one of the people that, that opened that voted against it. She she abstained and then cried. And it's like, oh, that's real fucking useful. Thanks. Um, I, I can't even for a second understand anyone that's still her, her. I can't understand it. Her anymore. entire existence is symbolic and she couldn't do a symbolic victory. Just a her no whole, vote. Just one no vote on a thing you know is going to pass anyway. The whole point for her existing is to reinvigorate imperialist talking points on the quote unquote left and to drive people back to voting because that's all she does. That's all she fucking does. And other than that, I don't know. She's a figurehead for right wing political cartoons. That's it. I mean, it's just fucking awful. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot out there. Um, you know, we definitely need some international solidarity right now with the Palestinian cause, uh, with Haitian liberation and, and for Haitian refugees, uh, so, I mean, as always, you know, get out there, get organizing, um, you know, bring the heat, make make them do something that has some impact to slow this shit down um, and, and continue it, you know, as we continue our solidarity with things like Nabisco strikes and, and, and everything like that. Exactly. That being said, we have done is about half the episode and we are going to get through 10 pages if it kills us on this one. So here we go. <laughs> Starting on page 702 of Black Reconstruction, it is but human experience to find that the complete suppression of a race is impossible. 
despite inner discouragement and submission to the oppression of others, the there persisted the mighty spirit, the emotional rebound that kept a vast number of a vast number struggling for its rights, for self-expression, and for social uplift. Such men, in many cases, became targets for the white race. They were denounced as troublemakers. They were denied opportunity. They were driven from their homes. They were lynched. It is doubtful if there is another group of 12 million people in the midst of a modern cultured land who are so widely inhibited and mentally confined as the American Negro. Within the colored race, the philosophy of salvation has, by the pressure of caste, been curiously twisted and distorted. Shall they use the torch and dynamite? Shall they go north or fight it out in the south? Shall they segregate themselves even more than they are now in states, towns, cities, or sections? Shall they leave the country? Are they American or foreigners? Shall they stand and sing, my country tis of thee? Shall they marry and rear children and save and buy homes or deliberately commit race suicide? Ordinarily, such questions within a group settle themselves by laboratory experiment. It is shown that violence does not pay that quiet, persistent effort wins. Bitterness and pessimism prove a handicap. And yet, in the case of the Negro, it is almost impossible to obtain such definite laboratory results. I want to stop right there um, for a second. Yeah. Uh, because that first paragraph, uh, that first section of this paragraph is very much, this is where our Fanon comes in. Um, yes. It is shown that violence does not pay, that quiet, persistent effort wins. No, 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 no. That's the American myth that they teach you. That's what they tell you about Martin Luther King and all the other things, that that it's just saw, you know, so, quietly soldiering on and moving on with yourself and not, not, not doing it. But we know that that is not the case. Yeah, which, I mean, at this point, Du Bois is, is quite a materialist, and he's written stuff kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also, you know, I mean, Harvard man, and, and there's been times where we – we haven't been completely eye to eye as brilliant as he is with, with some of his um, political philosophy in here, even if 99% of it, we, we agree with or are learning from him. Um, And so that's something where I'm not sure if he's kind of going a different direction than Fanon here, or if he's, saying it tongue in cheek but the way and let's keep the, reading the, let's keep reading and find out because he may let's he find may out do that he may do that thing yeah. that he does but i just i i'll my my initial just boom reaction to that sentence was is, yeah no, 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 is, let's is hold like on. right there's other schools of thought here to look at this and as far as the other school of thought that we've had on this show through fanon um you know we're not the authority of which one's right or wrong but the, the fanon one seems more right based on it does. history it does <laughs> Failure cannot be attributed to individual neglect, and success does not necessarily follow individual effort. I agree with that for sure. It is impossible to disentangle the results of caste and the results of work and striving. Ordinarily, a group experiments, tries now this, now that, measures results, and eliminates bad advice and unwise action by achieving success. But here, success is so curtailed and frustrated that guiding wisdom fails. Why should we save? What good does it do to be upstanding with self-respect? Who gains by thrift or rises by education? Such mental frustration cannot indefinitely continue. Someday it may burst in fire and blood. Who will be to blame? And where the greater cost? Black folk, after all, have little to lose, but civilization has all. This is the, Amer- this the American black man knows. His fight here is a fight to the finish. Either he dies or wins. If he wins, it will be by no subterfuge or evasion or of amalgamation. He will enter modern civilization here in America as a black man on terms of perfect and unlimited equality with any white man, or he will enter not at all. Either extermination root 
and branch or absolute equality. There can be no compromise. This is the last great battle of the West. Okay, now there's some philosophy of the voices. We no go. argument. There we go. <laughs> Brilliant. Evil results of the revolution of 1876 have not been confined to Negroes. The reaction on the whites was just as significant. The white people of the South are essentially a fine, kindly breed, the same sort of human being that one finds the world over. Perhaps their early and fatal mistake was when they refused long before the Civil War to allow in the South differences of opinion. They would not let honest white Southerners continue to talk against slavery. They drove out nonconformists. They would not listen to the radical. The result was that there has been built up in the South an intolerance fatal to human culture. Men act as they do in the South. They murder, they lynch, they insult, because they listen to but one side of a question. They seldom know, by real human contact, Negroes who are men. They read books that laud the South and the lost cause, but they are childish and furious when criticized and interpret all criticism as personal attack. This feels very much, again, I know know we want to keep it within America where... We are learning and reading on this for a reason, and and racism, specifically anti-blackness, still very much exists, and these structures still exist, and we're still in the process, especially when the Du Bois is on fire like this. But it's also hard because, I mean, all of these forces of oppression and all of these victims of oppression, it, it's always the same techniques from, from the same little handful of sources, right? And it's hard not to draw parallels every time with imperialism because i mean these things we talk we're talking about haitian refugees right now right we're going to to read a pan-africanist after this this shit is tied together yeah and it's hard not to read that and then think about american exceptionalism right and american imperialism yeah the result is that the south in the main is ranged against liberalism no liberal movement in the united states or in the world has been able to make advanced among southerners They are militaristic and will have nothing to do with a peace movement. Young Southerners eagerly crowd West Point and Annapolis. The South is not interested in freedom for, for dark India. It has no sympathy with the oppressed of Africa or of Asia. It is for the most part against unions and the labor movement because there can be no real labor movement in the South. Their laboring class is cut in two and the white laborers must be ranged upon the side of their own exploiters by persistent propaganda and police force. Labor can gain in the South no clash consciousness. Strikes cannot be effective because the white striker can be threatened with the colored scab and the colored striker can be clapped in jail. The result of disenfranchisement of the Negro on the political life of the South has been pitiful. Southerners argued that if the Negro was disenfranchised, normal political life would be possible for the South. They did not realize that a living, working class can never lose its political power, and that all they did in 1876 was to transfer that political power from the hands of labor to the hands of capital, where it has been concentrated ever since. Moreover, after transfer, the forms of Republican government become a continuing farce. As Chamberlain said... Every present citizen of South Carolina knows, and those who are truthful and frank will confess, that the ballot debauched in 1876 remains debauched. The violence taught them remains now, if not in the same, in other forms. The defiance of law learned then, and in what is now called a good cause, survives in the horrid orgies of degradation and of lynchings. David. 
There can be no doubt that the revolution of 1876 established fraud and oligarchy in the South, and remains of that regime are still with us. Local government in the South to this day is handicapped and frustrated by caste and by the use of the color line to divide the electorate and dominate the Negro. As late as 1931, the Atlanta Constitution said of the Georgia legislature, never in its history has Georgia been inflicted with so incompetent a legislature as the one just adjourned. George W. Cable said in 1885, the vote, after all, was a secondary point, and the robbery and bribery on the side and whipping and killing on the other side were but huge accidents of the situation. The two main questions were really these. On the freedman's side, how to establish Republican state government under the same recognition of his rights that the rest of Christendom accorded him. And on the former master's side, how to get back to the old semblance of a Republican state government and, allowing that the freedman was de facto a voter, still to maintain a purely arbitrary superiority of all whites over all blacks and a purely arbitrary equality of all blacks among themselves as an alien, menial, and dangerous class. Exceptionally, here and there, someone in the master caste did throw off the old and accept new ideas, and if he would allow it, was instantly claimed as a leader by the newly liberated thousands around him. But just as promptly, the old master race branded him also an alien reprobate. And in 99 cases out of 100, if he had not already done so, he soon began to conform his actions the brand of his cheek. The paradox of this whole muddle is that what the South started to do in 1876 was never accomplished and never will be. The Negro cannot be disenfranchised. He votes in every policy, and the only result of disenfranchisement is to bind the white South hand and foot and deliver it to its own worst self. Stevens and Sumner stand eternally vindicated. Hell yeah! Particularly has... Yeah, particularly has the South suffered spiritually by the effort to use propaganda and enforce belief. This was always results in deliberate lying. Not that all white Southerners deliberately lie about the Negro, but to an astonishing degree, the honest white South also allows known lies to stand uncontradicted. Again, we are seeing this now with the pandemic. Yes. Um, The white distortion of facts which became prevalent in white south during and after reconstruction as a measure of self-defense has never been wholly crushed since for years southerners denied that there was any fraud in cheating in elections henry grady stood in boston and told new england that the negro was as free to vote in the south as the white laborer was in the north booker t washington repeatedly testified to his goodwill and essential honesty of purpose of southerners and put the whole burden of responsibility for advance upon the negro himself the southern white man is the negro's best friend scream all the southern papers even today and this is in the face of the open record of 5,000 lynchings, jails bursting with black prisoners incarcerated on trivial and trumped up charges, and cast staring from every train and streetcar. The whole phantasmorgia has been built on the most miserable of human fictions, that in addition to the manifest differences between men, there is a deep, awful, and ir- inerid- ineradicable... In a, can't be eradicated. I can't pronounce it. Ineradicatable uh, cleft 
which condemns most men to the eternal degradation. It is a cheap inheritance of the world's infancy, unworthy of grown folk. My rise does not involve your fall. No superior has interest in inferiority. Humanity is one of its vast variety is its glory and not condemnation. If all men make the best of themselves, if all men have the chance to meet and know each other, the result is the love born of knowledge and not hate of base of ignorance. The result of this upon the higher life in the South is extraordinary. Fundamentalism rules in religion because men hesitate openly to reason about the golden rule. Literature, art, and music are curiously dominated by the Negro. The only literature in the South has had for years is based largely upon the Negro. Southern music is Negro music, yet Negroes themselves are seldom recognized as interpreters of art, and white artists must work under severe social limitations and at second hand. They thus lack necessary sincerity, depth, and frankness. Democracy in the South and the United States is hampered by the Southern attitude. The Southerner, by winning the victory with the 14th Amendment, tried to deny uses the Negro population as a basis of his political representation and allows few Negroes to vote, so that the white Southerner marches to the polls with many times as much voting power in his hand as the voter in the North. The South does, and and again, this is, (laughs) there is something we've seen so many times in, in elections, right, is how much more power these, these, uh, Southern states have per voter. Yes. Um, that's the whole point of, I can't, electoral college, right? That's the whole yes. point of electoral college. Land has, has the same right to, to presidency as population, essentially. Not not the same, but there, there's a middle ground to empower the, the southern states. The South does not and must vote for reaction. There can be, therefore, neither in the South nor in the nation, a successful third-party movement. This was proven in the case of Theodore Roosevelt and La Follette. A solid block of reaction in the South can always be depended upon to unite with Northern conservatism to elect a president. One can only say to all this that whatever the South gained through its victory in the Revolution of 1876 has been paid for at a price which literally staggers humanity. Imperialism, the exploitation of colored labor throughout the world, thrives upon the approval of the United States, and the United States gives that approval because of the South. Can I read that sentence again? Yes. Imperialism, the exploitation, imperialism, the exploitation of the colored labor throughout the world thrives upon the approval of the United States and the United States gives that approval because of the South. Du Bois wrote that in the 30s. You want to talk about all of the things that that have not changed since this book. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, World War waits on and supports imperial aggression and international jealousy. This was too great a price to pay for anything which the South gained. The chief, the chief obstacle, obstacle in this, in this was rich the realm. rich. The chief obstacle in this rich realm of the United States, endowed with every natural resource and with the abilities of a hundred different people, the chief and only obstacle to the coming of that kingdom of economic equality, which is the only logical end of work, is the determination of the white world to keep the black world poor and themselves rich. I'm going to read that one again. The chief obstacle in this rich realm of the United States, endowed with every natural resource and with the abilities of hundreds of different people, the chief and only obstacle to the coming of that kingdom of economic equality, which is the only logical end of work, is the determination of the white world to keep the black world poor and themselves rich. A clear vision of the world without indoctrinate individual wealth 
or without inordinate individual wealth, of capital without profit, and of income based on work alone is the path out, not only for America, but for all men. Across this path stands the South with flaming sword. Of course it would be humanly impossible for any such regime to be completely successful anywhere without protest and reaction from within. Almsgiving to Negroes in the South has always been almost universal. Even petty pilfering has been winked at. Beyond this, and by of far greater social significance, have been the personal friendships between blacks and whites with aid and advice given even at great personal pecuniary and spiritual costs. Large-hearted Southern white men and women have in unnumbered cases, quietly and without advertisement, done enormous work to make life bearable and success possible for thousands of Negroes. Most of these benevolence of this sort, however, has been of personal and individual matter. In only a minority of cases have such Southern white people been willing to stand on principle and demand for all Negroes rights as men and treatment according to desert. When in some cases such opinion and clear advocacy has been made and has consequently evoked the usual social punishment. It is singular and almost peculiar to the South how seldom Southern whites have had the courage to stand up and suffer for righteousness's sake against the mass terror of public opinion. In the South, the iconoclast, the martyr, not only on the Negro question, but on other moral matters, have been conspicuously absent. And where they have arisen, they have soon either subsided into silence or retreated to the more tolerant atmosphere of the North, leaving the South all the poorer and all the more easily hammered into conformity with the mob. If white and black in the South were free and intelligent, there would be friendship and some intermarriage, and there ought to be. But some would marry where he did not wish to, and there could be no greater intermingling in the future than in the shameful past unless this union of races proved successful and attractive. The revolution of 1876 was in fine a victory for which the South has every right to hang its head. After enslaving the Negro for two and one half centuries, it turned on his emancipation to beat a beaten man, to trade in slaves and to kill the defenseless, to break the spirit of the black man and humiliate him into hopelessness, to establish a new dictatorship of property in the South and through the color line. It was a triumph of men and who, with who in their effort to replace equality with caste and to build inordinate wealth on foundation of abject poverty have succeeded in killing democracy, art, and religion. And yet, despite this, and despite the long step backward towards slavery that fell black folk, that black folk have been pushed, they have made with a, withal a brave and fine fight, a fight against ridicule and monstrous character caricature against every remnant of cruelty and gross insult against starvation disease and murder in every form it is it has left in their soul its scars its deep scars but when all is said through all it has gone through a thread of brave and splendid friendship from those few and rare men and women of white skin north and south who have dared to know and help and love black folk the unending tragedy of Reconstruction is the utter inability of the American mind to grasp its real significance, its national and worldwide implications. It was vain for Sumner and Stevens to hammer in the ears of the people that this problem involved the very foundations of American democracy, both political and economic. We are still too blind and infatuated to conceive of the emancipation of the laboring class in half the nation as a revolution comparable to the upheavals in France in the past and in Russia, Spain, India, and China today. We, are, we were worried when the beginnings of this experiment cost eight, 
19 millions of dollars and quite aghast when a debt of 225 millions was involved, including waste and theft. We apparently expected that this social upheaval was going to be accomplished with peace, honesty, and efficiency, and that the planters were going to quietly to were going quietly to surrender the right to live on the labor of black folk. After 250 years of habitual exploitation, and it seems to America a proof of inherent race inferiority that four million slaves did not completely emancipate themselves in 80 years in the midst of nine million bitter enemies and indifferent public opinion of the whole nation. If the reconstruction of southern states from slavery to free labor and from aristocracy to industrial democracy has been conceived as a major national program of America whose accomplishment at any price was well worth the effort, we should be living today in a different world. The attempt Du Bois not so oh. suddenly going right after Du Bois not so suddenly going right after the victim blamers right there. Oh yeah, oh just yeah, just like fuck off, fuck like, right the hell. Why off. didn't they do better? Yeah, why didn't they liberate themselves? You know, immediately while the entire country was against them. Yeah, the attempt to make black men American citizens was, in a certain sense, all a failure, but a splendid failure. It did not fail where it was expected to fail. It was Athanasius Contramundum, with back to a wall, outnumbered 10 to 1, with all the wealth and all the opportunity and all the world against him, and only in his hands and the heart, the conscious and heart, the consciousness of a great and just cause, fighting the battle of all oppressed and despised humanity of every race and color against all the massed hirelings of religion, science, education, law, and brute force. And to end the chapter, we leave with a poem from Oscar Wilde. For he has a pall, this wretched man, such a few men can claim. Deep down below a prison yard, naked for a greater shame, he lies with fetters on each foot, wrapped in a sheet of flame. And that is going to end the chapter Black to back to towards slavery. Holy yeah, shit, which, that was I a mean, chapter. Holy cow, was that another? That was a chapter. That was another big, rich, powerful one where Du Bois spoke his word, right? Um, I mean, he was not shy. This was this was what it was, you know. Uh this black people were killed, they were they were lynched and destroyed for wanting liberation, for wanting to be human beings. And the standard was, why didn't you liberate themselves? Well, of course they didn't liberate themselves. The whole fucking system was rigged and people were willing to kill themselves and destroy their own liberation and, and hack at their own wealth and their, their own, you know, education and their own arts and, and their own democracy, all, all in the name of this racism. And of course, once again, you know, it was the white people that got on board, that, that did this uh, in the name of the, the rich planter class because they, they needed a subclass. They wanted to stay above someone. And in doing so, they really hurt themselves and killed their own liberation. Right. And he talks about, I mean, this is why America can't have a third party. This is why uh, America can't, you know, be more democratic. This is, this is the cause of all of these problems. Exactly. Um, it, it was a, a heavy chapter. It was definitely an involved chapter. Um, and, and just for the continuity of the show and for everything we're going to be doing, we are going to end it there. 
uh, for this yeah. week. We are going to see if we can get through the next chapter in one episode. If we can't, we won't. We're going to give this all the due time it deserves. Um, but that being said, this is going to be where we end for this week. I, I do feel like ending on the end of the chapter here at mm-hmm. right about the hour mark is worthwhile. Um, so that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. There are a number of different ways you can get a hold of us if you'd like to. One of which is you can reach out to us on email. Email is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, another way you can reach out is through Twitter. We are at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Uh, if you wanted to get in a more involved relationship with us where we're hanging out and talking on a more day-to-day basis, uh, Discord is the way to do that. That is where Nathan lives full-time and where David is uh, summoned via bat signal when the time is appropriate. Um, but that being said, our Discord server is linked in our Twitter bio. It is also available if you were to email us. We will obviously send it to you. Uh, no questions asked. If you don't want to use Twitter, you're probably a better person than I am. So you you deserve to get it through email. Um, but if you if you just play Final Fantasy XIV and want to hang out with some other communists, Discord's there for you. If you're just going through some tough shit and want someone you can vent to, Discord's there for you. Um, there's there's a lot of people there, and everyone has a big heart and just wants to do the right thing for for our fellow comrades. So I highly encourage anyone joining that listens to the show. That being said, David, it is time for a disclaimer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we started reading this, uh, reading another long work, reading Capital. It's, it's pretty dense, a lot of a lot of coats and linens and things. And uh, we wanted to do it together. Nathan approached me and said, "Hey, you know, why don't we do this together? Because this is a work that you know you want to read together. Any any theory, any history, you want to read with other people so you can discuss its content. You can make sure you understand it. Uh, you can make sure." That you're getting, you know, what the author intended and, and what should be taken from it. And you can tie it back to your life that day. Um, and so, you know, we recorded it. We thought, hey, maybe we can share this with more people since two is kind of a small reading group. And lo and behold, we kicked it off as a podcast. And now there's more than two of us. And since the beginning, the vision's been that hopefully whatever party you're in, uh, whatever group you're organizing on the ground with, uh, your reading or your political education group is doing these books. And hopefully we could be another person in that group along with you, another voice, another source of input to kind of help you out there. Um, say for that, let's say it's a work that, you know, it, they're they're reading something a little shorter or more applicable to, to what you're organizing around at the moment, and you're reading it on your own. Um you know, maybe we can be that discussion group. Sure, two's a little small, but two plus you, that that's a little bit more. And uh, so we can give you that context. We can give you another source of input. We can help you relate it to your life today and, and, and get you a little more out of it. And say for that, let's, you know, say that, that you don't, you're having trouble reading on on your own, whether it's a book like this where we kind of read it word for word and we give you an enhanced ebook, uh, or if it's a book that like Capital where we kind of summarize it, whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you, uh, because we want these works out there guiding your actions. And when theory is driven into revolutionary action, that's a phenomenon called praxis, and that's how we drive a revolution. Um, and so, you know, praxis does not exist without theory guiding it. Otherwise, it's not praxis. And of course, you know, without praxis, the theory is completely useless. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that all being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. Uh, my name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye.